Star Wars 7x7 episode 1343. Today, the Rebels briefing on the very final part of the finale of Star Wars Rebels. This would be Family Reunion and Farewell Part 2, which is episode 16 of season 4 of the series. Punch it, Chewie. Hey, I'm Anthony Bresnikan, covering the Star Wars galaxy for Entertainment Weekly, and you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod, and this is it. This is the last of the briefings, which is actually not entirely accurate because there are some episodes for which I haven't done briefings, and those would be episodes from Season 2. So eventually I will do those so that way I have the complete collection of briefings available to you. However, as far as Rebels in real time goes, yeah, this is it. This is the final briefing that we're doing because it's about the final episode of the series and boy oh boy did they leave the biggest surprise for last and this is a spoiler filled podcast so if you have not seen the episode and don't want it spoiled for you then save this for a later date otherwise if you're ready to go then let's go i mean (laughs) you know how many different times did various characters say is this the plan is this really happening (laughs) as a result of seeing the Pergil show up and destroy the Imperial fleet. And it's relevant to mention the fact that I haven't done briefings for all of season two because, of course, the episode where the Pergil show up in Rebels in season two is one that I haven't covered on the podcast yet. So when the Pergil showed up, I saw those things and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> Which... I'm sure Rebels fans who have watched the show from Soup to Nuts did not have that same reaction. They were probably like, oh, the Pergil! That's what those crazy space whale slash squid slash stingrays are. But the arrival of the Pergil and the fact that Ezra had them in his plans in the first place suggests our top takeaway number one, which is that Ezra is doing some deeper thinking than we've seen him do. And he's doing it with consideration of Thrawn who is a master strategist in his own right. And so Ezra has actually worked out this whole situation considering the possibility, the contingency, if you will, that if Thrawn shows up early and they are unable to complete the mission before he arrives, how are they going to deal with Thrawn? And he has an answer for it. But before the Pergil arrive, we have to address top takeaway number two, which is the final confrontation between Emperor Palpatine and Ezra Bridger. And Ezra is able to resist the siren song of seeing his parents again and being able to join them. Who knows what kind of evil snake oil Palpatine was really selling in this scene. I mean, he called that space a gateway. And so, again, it suggests that just using a few of the pieces of the Jedi Temple on Lothal, he was able to construct some level of access into the world between worlds. But what that level of access was is still questionable. Um, It's not like he could actually go into the, you know, that space, the world between worlds, and then go to any doorway he wanted to. It looks like he was only able to just construct one doorway. And in his words um, to Ezra, to offer what might have been and what yet may be, which is about 
as tempting as it could possibly be. And Ezra being able to say, I have to let you go, was a heartbreaking moment, but also a rather miraculous one. And he destroys the remnants of the Jedi Temple within the Chimera. So it looks like our access to the world between worlds has definitely been shut down for now. And once Ezra gets out of that situation and gets up to the bridge, he's able to confront Admiral Thrawn and take control of the ship. And the Pergil arrive, and they utterly wipe out everything in their path and even poke the windows out of the bridge and get their tentacles inside to wrap Thrawn up. Not quickly enough because he's able to fire a shot off and hit Ezra in the shoulder, which is clearly causing some pain, but he's able to hold it together. And actually, it seems like he's working with that Pergil that's reached through the windows to hold Thrawn in check. And that would make sense, of course, because Ezra has previously demonstrated an affinity for the Pergil and knows how to work with them and knows how to work with you know animal life in general with the Force. Like, that seems to be one of his particular specialties. So the Pergil, like, get in there, they take everybody else out, and then they charge themselves up because, as you may recall, they are able to transport themselves into hyperspace just naturally. So a whole bunch of them grab onto the Star Destroyer and start powering up to go to hyperspace the question i had about this was the fact that the windows are open because the pergil punched them in so what happens to a person a ship that is open to the exposed nature of hyperspace and as far as i've been able to tell in my research it seems like it's not actually going to be a problem because there is some sort of stasis field that a ship generates around itself to counteract the effects of time dilation and other weird things that happen as a result of traveling in hyperspace. So that stasis field, assuming that it's still working, would also protect Thrawn and Ezra and everybody else on the bridge from those negative effects of hyperspace. As for just air, right, that whole situation, well, it depends on what kind of stasis field is up. Like if it has, you know, a magnetic field where it can contain the air, then they'll be fine. If not, then they're just going to have to figure out something to do about it. But we're given reason to believe that at least Ezra survives this whole exchange. We don't know for sure whether Thrawn survives or not, but the fact that the epilogue talks about Ezra still being out there somewhere and Ahsoka and Sabine are going to go try and find him, they would have sensed, or Ahsoka would have sensed in the Force if he was gone. And so the fact that they haven't sensed that and think that there is an opportunity to go find him suggests that Ezra must have survived. And so there must have been measures in place for them to be able to handle being in hyperspace, even with punched out windows. All right. Our next top takeaway has to do with resolving the question of the rebels not having had a major victory in the war until the Battle of Scarif. And as we're finding out with the way stories are being told in the new canon, and maybe this was the case in the old canon slash legends now, but they're really finding ways to split those hairs and thread those needles very effectively. And this is clearly a win because they got rid of the Imperials. They killed most of them. And, you know, the few that were still on the planet that hadn't responded to Protocol 13, well, you know, all the people in the capital city got a hold of them, and that was that. So, man, the reason why <laughs> this is not a major victory for the rebels is because the rebel alliance did not send 
support for them to do this, or at least that's the rationale. I guess that's not really true because the ending of the first half of season four had a rebel assault. So there were a whole bunch of rebel fighters that were sent to Lethal. And even though most of them got wiped out, they still sent help in that regard, but they didn't send anything after the fact. So as they're talking, as the ghost crew and all their helpers are talking about, you know, what to do with Lethal now, you know, the conversation goes to, well, you know, like, do we get the Rebel Alliance to bring additional support in here now that they have seen what we were able to do? And Zeb's rationale is, you know, we kick the Empire off of Lethal without them and we're going to keep it that way without them. So this is not a victory for the Rebel Alliance. This is a victory for the self-functioning, self-managed rebel cell on Lothal. So that's how they figured out how to thread the needle to make it not a rebel alliance situation, but a rebels of Lothal situation. So very wily, those folks at Star Wars Rebels, I must say. All right, let's move on to another top takeaway here. And that has to do with Ezra's final message to the crew. He has messages for Hera and Sabine and Zeb, but none for Chopper. So, you know, come on, Ezra, that that ain't right. Like Chopper owes, or you owe Chopper <laughs> a message or two, right? But, yeah, you know, maybe we'll find out what it is in a few years when they do whatever series they need to do to find Ezra. Anyway. So the thing that stands out in particular has to do with what he talks about with Sabine. And he basically says, you know, no, I'm counting on you. And she's like, yeah, but for what? And so the way she interprets that is that she needs to become the guardian of Lethal that he used to be. And so, you know, she's already said I'm out of the whole Mandalorian stuff like that was handled in the first two episodes of the season. So she can now be the protector of Lethal in a way that Ezra, you know, he started out not necessarily being that, but he certainly evolved to that. As for the rest of the fighting force, everybody had their part to play, both literally and figuratively, so that was well orchestrated. And probably one of the most touching moments in the show, and it's actually probably one of the least discussed ones as I've been reading through internet stuff about the finale, is the death scene of Gregor, one of the three clones that was involved in this whole enterprise, and him saying to Rex that it was an honor to fight for something we chose to believe in. What a remarkable statement that was and it certainly puts the Clone Wars in tremendous perspective just with that one line of dialogue. And I find this particularly interesting, maybe you will too, but as we've been approaching the finale of Rebels, Dave Filoni has talked in public appearances more and more about the fact that he did not get the opportunity to end the Clone Wars, to give it the you know final wrap-up that he wanted it to, and that he was particularly excited about the fact that he was going to get that opportunity for Star Wars Rebels, that he was going to be able to wrap up the storylines in a meaningful way. And I feel like he's also been picking at the edges of the Clone Wars as well, that he's sort of been killing multiple birds with one stone. And I feel like that line is an indicator of Wolf and Gregor and Rex's journey and how that basically kind of closes the loop for them with their Clone Wars history as well. 
All right, I'm gonna take a quick break and when I come back, we're gonna talk about a couple other little details that you might have missed in the show, some Easter eggy type things and some other good fun stuff. We're not gonna talk about the epilogue in today's podcast. I'm gonna do a whole separate podcast for that on Friday. But for now, we'll talk Easter eggs and other random miscellaneous details after the break. Stay tuned. Hey, Rebel Rouser. No sponsor on this episode today, so I just have a favor to ask instead. If you haven't done so already, please consider leaving a review for Star Wars 7x7 on your favorite podcast app. Not just a star rating, although I will say we are personally very proud of our near-unanimous five-star rating on iTunes. No, I just mean a thoughtful sentence or two about what you like about the podcast, or how happy you are that it's part of your daily routine. And more reviews means better visibility, which means more people get to share in a daily dose of Star Wars joy, and you want that, don't you? Of course you do. So please leave a review on your favorite podcast app today. I thank you, and the Star Wars 7x7 podcast thanks you. Welcome back. All right, so Easter eggy type stuff. First of all, when the Pergil are laying waste to the Imperial blockade and to Thrawn ships, he says, you know, get me Captain Palion on the line. And that is a one throwaway line mentioned to a guy who has sometimes been described as the Watson to his Sherlock Holmes from the original Timothy Zahn novels. So that was a throwaway line but for people watching and listening carefully that was a rather fun line to hear then there's the mention of gl44 the sector in which zeb and company find themselves as they are on their way to getting the shield generator back online and Hera's asking them to report in they were in sector gl44 at the time and that would be a nod to george lucas himself with the gl and 44 is the year of his birth Ooh, very sneakily done i've been looking up references to 5858 there's a blast door 5858 that's mentioned and i don't see any may 8th 1958 things or anything like that so i have a feeling it's not entirely random but i have not seen anything that parses out what it's really about and so if you have any ideas then by all means do share them at the comments at the blog post for this show's episode at sw7x7.com and i checked to see whether it had ties to either kathleen kennedy's birthday or dave filoni's birthday or even melody hobson's birthday but no no such luck so anyway let's move on from that and let's talk about the fact that the shield generator room actually bears some resemblance to the shield generator room inside the bunker on Endor. And the design of it in Rebels was definitely inspired by Return of the Jedi. So yeah, there's another Return of the Jedi link for you as well. And a last thing I'll flag for you is a force ability that extends a very long way. So the hologram of Palpatine is able to wave his finger and Ezra's binders fall off. But Palpatine has already told Ezra, you know, I'm a long way away. Like I'm too busy, you know, managing the bureaucracy on Coruscant. So I'm sorry I couldn't be there with you in person to (laughs) deal with this temptation and, and really try to hand your hat to you when you reject it. But anyway, the fact that, you know, Palpatine appears as a hologram and is able to release the binders, well, that's using a force ability from a very, very, very long distance from the core all the way to the outer rim. I mean, can you imagine if they had done something like that in a movie where a character was able to project the force across an immense... uh, 
Mm, wait a second. <laughs> yep, totally legit. So no worries there. And like I said, we are going to talk about the epilogue to the show, which takes place f- at least four years after the end of the main portion of the TV show, after the end of their mission to remove the Imperials from Lothal after that success. We still don't yet know how closely the end of Rebels runs up to the beginning of Rogue One, so we know it has to be at least four years because of the time frame between the original Star Wars and Return of the Jedi. We don't know anything beyond that. We don't know how far we have to go back before we get to the finale of Rebels just yet. But we're going to talk about almost all of the epilogue stuff on tomorrow's podcast, with the exception of the bit about Rex, about Commander Rex, as he's now known. And we will talk about that together on Saturday. But for now, I just need to say thank you so much for listening to today's podcast that went uh, rather a bit longer than normal. Thank you for sticking with it. And may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you stow away on a Trade Federation landing craft, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And please support the podcast by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a short negotiation, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.